Well, as you're grabbing your seat, grab, uh, grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I want to actually uh, begin our time uh, in John chapter 2, the last three verses of John chapter 2. You know, those chapter marks are great things. They really help. I can say, go to John chapter 3 or go to John chapter 11 or whatever. And it's like, if we didn't have that, you'd be like, well, kind of top right page, yeah, but yours on a different page. Keep going here. And it'd be really hard to find places and uh, to get. So they're really helpful, but they're also at times kind of a curse. Because what they tend to do is those chapter breaks at times tend to kind of break up what is really going on in the flow of the text. And so... Um, we can miss that. But this is one of those times where the chapter break gets in the way of what's happening. Last Sunday, we went through John chapter 2. Let me pick up in the last three verses of John chapter 2, because it really flows right into chapter 3. Let's pick those up. Verse 23, now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Uh, But Jesus, on his part, look at this. We talked about this last Sunday did not entrust himself to them. That's really an interesting statement because in this it's saying that basically Jesus didn't entrust himself to some people. Well, I thought God loved all people and wanted to entrust himself. Yeah, he does, but look at it. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to hear, uh, to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Here's the reality of it. I'll tell you, that's, a, that's an awesome passage and a scary passage. Because in essence, it's saying here that uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the Godhead, uh, the one knows men and knows men. He knows women. He knows our heart. And he knows this. He knows our games. And he also knows our tendencies. God knows you. God knows me. God knows us. There's a part of this where basically Jesus is saying, listen, you're all kind of the same. And in so many ways we are. He knows the tendencies of it. And here's one of the tendencies pulling out of that passage as we see before and coming right after it with Nicodemus here is that Jesus understands that there's a tendency for us to be people who are about lightweight, fluffy faith. And Jesus knows that. And he's the one that deciphers what's going on. And when there's this light, fluffy faith, like I'm kind of into God for the moment kind of a thing, God knows exactly what's going on. And God can also know exactly what's going on where I'm telling you, I need a savior to live for. There's a big difference. And God knows that. Let's carry that reality into chapter three, verse one. Here we go. We're entering into a private interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. Oh, by the way, pause before I read. Because I realize that when I say what we're about to do, many of you who may have uh, grown up with, uh, been blessed with some church background, and you know your Bible, know the story of Nicodemus. It's the story of be born again. We'll get there. But already you're kind of a couple things may be going on in your thinking about this passage. Oftentimes, and I'll just say for me, I kind of had this impression that Nicodemus was this guy who was like right on the edge. He was right there. He, he, he wanted to know Christ. He was ready to, and maybe in our terms, he was ready to commit himself to Christ. He was just there and he, he needed, but yet he was a Pharisee. So he's kind of going against the system. And so he needed some help with it and he wanted to meet him. And, but he's like right there. And uh, I just can tell you, I don't think that's the case. 
So if for you, if I've just shocked you, for others, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But if I've just shocked you, good, hear the story that you've heard before. But I think from a proper perspective, when we know the rest of the story, sometimes we read things into the prior story. So uh, who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus at this time is a Pharisee. Uh, He was one of those guys in chapter 1 who was involved in sending the priests and the the Levites to ask John, who are you? And uh, I think that means that uh, he clearly is one who has been in a world where you placing your faith in your own self-works. In other words, I can earn my way to God. I know the Bible for him. He was a professor of the Old Testament, basically. He was a seminary professor, PhD of the Old Testament. He taught it. And here we find this guy who comes in with all this stuff, and um, he lived in a salvation by works world. All of the Pharisees just had this tendency. I'm certainly not saying someone can buck, cannot buck the system, but I'm telling you he comes from a system to where you earned your way to God. You see, if you don't know the Bible very well, it was this. God had put some things in place in the Old Testament to help his covenant people to be able to understand what it looked like to live for God. And then what ended up happening, just like we do in our world with government and big company and everything else with it, we end up making more rules. We make rules to follow the rules. And then those rules become the thing. And actually, the thing isn't the thing anymore. It's this stuff becomes the thing. And here's what had happened with the Pharisees. All the thing was their thing, not God's thing. And so they were certainly about their thing, but they weren't really about God's thing. And they were all caught up in it. And you know what? A lot of us get that, don't we? I know what it's like to be able to do the right things but not be about the right thing? Well, let's enter the story. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was what? Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Basically, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was position-wise, and Nicodemus was one of the Sanhedrin. This is very important to understand. You need to understand who Nicodemus is to be able to really understand what's going on in the dynamics of the story. Nicodemus was one of 70 men in all of Israel at the time who was on the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the uh, Supreme Court who wasn't just dealing with law things. They were actually the governing body. This dude was smart. This dude was a leader. Okay, this dude had a lot going his way and a lot behind his way. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus when? When did he come to Jesus? At night. I don't want to make a big deal about it. We just know this. He came at night. Okay. And he said to Jesus, now now, we're going to talk this through. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, is this a statement of someone who's saying, man, I'm right there to commit my, right about ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ? No, that's not what that is. Let's break this up a little bit. First, he comes in here with a statement. Look, um, rabbi. Now, rabbi was a common term in the day. It was a common term used for uh, just teacher. Okay, so it, was, it definitely had a position of respect, no question about it. But it wasn't necessarily saying, you know, I believe that you are the Messiah. That's what I'm saying. He's just saying rabbi. He also says, look at the next word, rabbi, we, we. 
Hey, did you know that uh, when Nicodemus was coming to talk with Jesus, it wasn't just about Nicodemus and Jesus. It was about Nicodemus and we, who are the we. Uh, we don't know. Uh, there could have been some other disciples with him, possibly, but I think the way the conversation goes, I don't actually think that's the case. I don't know for sure, but I'm saying this. I, I'm saying, uh, let me just say it. The we is some other Pharisees behind it. And I don't mean that bad. I mean that, in other words, this. When he is coming to talk with Jesus at night, whether he got the, you know, the, he, he lost the rock, paper, scissors thing or whatever happened and he was the one to go, it's this. He comes in with a we. There are others who are thinking what he's thinking. There are others who are at where he's at. That's the point. This isn't so much just Nicodemus all on his own. It's like, I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. It's more like we. And by the way, I think as we go along, we're going to see if you really understand the context of a Pharisee in this kind of conversation, I think the we is part of a power play. Why didn't he just say I? But instead, when you come and you talk with somebody, say, uh, if I were to come in and, uh, and I were to have a conversation with Paul and Paul and I were all alone here and we were coming along and I just say, Paul, uh, we have some. If I were Paul, I'd be like. He's coming with more than him. There's some others behind this. Okay, and look at the next word. We what? We know. Now, just that alone is giving this idea that there is something, that they know something. He doesn't come to Jesus with a question. He comes to Jesus with a statement. Look at this. And we know that you are. Now, what he has to say here, we know that you are a teacher who... Uh, uh, comes from God, for no one could do the signs that you do unless God is with them. It's interesting because in essence here, he's making this statement that that uh, he's not calling Jesus a prophet. He's not calling him a Messiah, the Messiah. He is just saying that, uh, listen, you come and you're doing some things that there's some kind of God power going on here with what you're doing. Uh, God's involved in this somehow. I have no idea what's going on, but uh, I'm seeing that and we know that. Now, I just want to toss this out that in the whole conversation of it, the way the text is put together, there is a bit of, I think, arrogance behind what's going on here. Let me just put it this way. Cut to the chase. Nicodemus, if you had a clue who you were talking to right now, you would be on your face on the ground. Nicodemus, I don't want to be too hard on the guy, okay? But I'll just say this. Nicodemus, you don't know squat. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to be too hard on him because we can be so Nicodemus. Uh, But I just want to let you know as Nicodemus is coming in, he's starting with a we know something. Not really. Okay, here we go. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do the things you do unless God is with you. No question mark there, a statement. Jesus, we know who you are. We know about you, if you will. Okay? Now, look at where the conversation goes. Before we go there, uh, miss one thing here. Who is Jesus? Remember from John chapter 1? And this is a slide we had used back then in John chapter 1. And it lays out all of the main themes and some of the key words. Who, who is this guy who's having a conversation with this guy? 
Uh, well, we have the benefit of knowing that uh, this guy, Jesus, who's having a conversation, is the word, is the mean uh, term used in the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And we talked about this. Look, at who, who is he? He is with God. He was God. He's the Lord. He's life. He's the lamb. He came. He came in the flesh. He was born. It was the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the son. He's Jesus Christ, the son of God. He's the king of Israel. And Nicodemus has no idea who he's talking to right here. But I will say this. It is so cool that Nicodemus is having this talk. I'm so grateful Nicodemus is here. And look at how Jesus handles this now. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you. Look at verse 11, and you tell me, what does Jesus say? Okay, now, how, what does he mean this? Because this means I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Uh, In this movement here of Jesus having this conversation, Jesus knows all men, and is Jesus having this conversation to where it's like, okay, here we go. Here I've got this arrogant Pharisee. The Pharisees, by the way, the Sanhedrin, I know is going to be behind my crucifixion down the road. This is my chance. I am going to lay this guy flat. I am going to just put him down in his place where he needs to know. Listen, I Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Is that the way Jesus is coming at? I have, listen, I don't think that is all the way Jesus is coming. And the reason I bring this up, my friends, is because it gives you insight of to who our Savior is. Three times he makes this statement. I think it's much more like this. Nicodemus, I'm going to add some things here. Nicodemus, I know you are of the Sanhedrin. I know you are a a, a professor teacher. I know you are a Pharisee. Nicodemus, I know you know the Old Testament inside and out, and I know that you have most of it memorized. Nicodemus, I know you're a leader. Nicodemus, I know you're a thinker. Nicodemus, I know you're a moral man. But Nicodemus, hear me. I tell you the truth. Nicodemus, Hear me. I tell you the truth. I just want for you to know, I think this is the tone of the rest of the conversation here. This is not a savior who's coming in who's just like crushing this guy for potential ignorance. Instead, this is a savior who's coming and this guy's come before him with all this baggage in his life, with all this stuff in his life, and he comes and look at how he approaches him. He says, I want to tell you the truth. In fact, I want to tell you the truth so bad, I'm going to say it again. I want to tell you the truth. Look, I tell you the truth, unless one is born again, in other words, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I want to be very careful here because... I would be right where Nicodemus is at. I'm like, dude, what in the world are you talking about? Do not bring your understanding of the rest of the story in at this point and kind of condemn this guy for ignorance. What if you've never heard the term born again in your whole life for the very first time you hear it and you're like, what? That's what's happening here. Why would Jesus go here? Because of the end of chapter 2. Jesus knows right where men and women are at. 
And I love the fact here in this conversation. Jesus goes right to what Nicodemus needs to hear. Listen, Jesus could have a grandiose conversation about all kinds of things. But Nicodemus, hear me, hear me. You know all this stuff. You do all this stuff. And Nicodemus, if you don't get this one thing, my friend, whom, by the way, I created Colossians chapter one, my friend, if you don't get this, you're going to be lost. You will never see the kingdom, my friend. Do you see the love? Do you see the compassion that's being uh, stated out here? This isn't a, uh, let's just cut to the chase and like get in your face. This is a cut to the chase, let's get in your face because I love you. Verse five, Jesus answered, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, I I tell you the truth, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Not only up in verse three, not only will he not see the kingdom of God, but here it says he will not enter, enter the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, Nicodemus, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, I think he's saying this back because Nicodemus's eyes are like rolling back in his head or like about his head's about ready to blow up or something here. And he's like, do not marvel what I said to you that you must be born again. Now, one of the things we miss in the English right here, the you is plural. In the Greek, it's a plural form. Why is that important here? Because Jesus is doing an incredible play the game back. Remember when Nicodemus comes, he says, hey, we know who you are. So Nicodemus is just not talking about himself. So Jesus, when he responds back to himself, uh, to Nicodemus, he says, you, and by the way, all those people who sent along with you that are thinking this, I'm talking to all of you. You all, you all must be born again. The wind blows, Nicodemus, where it wishes. I wonder if the wind was blowing that night. And here's its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Man, we could talk a long time, but I'm going to buzz through a couple things, Uh, especially born of water and spirit. What in the world does that mean? There's some different views on this. One of the common views that's out there that is an incorrect view is this. Uh, what that thinking that what he's Jesus is saying that is is that uh, uh, salvation takes its effect in a person when they are baptized in water. I'm just going to say that's not at all what Jesus is saying here. I don't have time to go into the process of explaining, but I will just simply say this: Look at the rest of the discussion. Nowhere is there discussion about you got to be baptized. And if that was the thing, wouldn't you think that Jesus would be centering on that thing? But that's not the thing that Jesus centers on. The thing that Jesus centers on in the rest of the conversation is faith in the Messiah. That's where it is. It's about placing your faith. It's not about the baptism gig. Okay, he's not saying that. So what is he saying? Well, there's two kind of, I'll just go right to the two common ones uh, that could potentially be it. Uh, one is, is that it's talk. Jesus is saying that there's two births. There's a physical birth and then there's a spiritual birth. 
In other words, the first one, the water birth, that's in the womb. That's the amniotic fluid. And, and uh, probably that's what most of you may have been taught growing up. And, and that's a very viable approach to it. But there's another one too. And I'll just tell you, I, I would lean towards this one personally. And I would lean towards this one because of who he's talking to. And it's this, that water and spirit is one thing. It's not two births. It's one not a physical birth and then a spiritual birth. He's talking about a water spirit birth. Why do I say that? Because he's talking to a man who knows the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the terminology for water is most always used for this idea of a cleansing, a cleansing from impurity. It's not, doesn't talk about uh, so much about being birthed. But it talks about an, a cleansing of impurity. You see in Ezekiel 36, it uses the term of, of a transformed heart. Also in the Old Testament, the term for spirit, it talks, it's the principle of life. Life is breathed. In fact, in the one song we sang about the dry bones, that's out of Ezekiel 37, where the word is used here, where the spirit comes, where the wind, pneuma, where it comes along and brings life to the dry bones. I think that what Jesus is saying here is a combined unified statement where he's saying in essence this, every person must be cleansed and given life. And the way I'm going to state that is, is you must be born all over again. By the way, you can't birth yourself. Have you ever noticed that? You can't birth yourself. That's why he goes on to some of the description here. Uh, Look at uh, uh, verse 6. Human birth produces earthly people, not children of God. Only the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So this born again, uh, please understand, this is not a turn over a new leaf in your life. It's not a, I just turned a new leaf over. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about an entirely being regenerated. This is a whole renewal of a person. This is a whole new creation as it talks about in Corinthians. It's about being rebirthed and you can't birth yourself. And that's why he goes on and he talks about uh, uh, in this, uh, this wind is blowing. And by the way, I think in verse 7, this is why Nicodemus' mind is just blown away. Like, what? What? Don't you love it when people are confused? It gives me hope. I'm telling you, I'm so, I, I, please don't walk away today and think I'm kind of smack-talking Nicodemus. I am so not. I love the fact that here's a guy who comes and he puts himself in front of this guy and he's totally confused. And if you were to ask me some questions about some things, well, Doug, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Is it going to be like Nicodemus? Uh, uh, I don't know. Verse 8, the wind can neither be controlled nor understood. Think about that. We have, you know, what is it, Doppler radar and all that cool stuff nowadays that we can see the wind and the movement of the weather. Uh, Yeah, and like we got control of it. Yeah. And back then they didn't know what was coming. It just came. And so you got to take it back to that day. He couldn't look on his iPhone and see what the weather's doing. He's just there. Uh, But I'll tell you what, we sure can't see the effects of it. 
We can't see it and we can't control it, but we sure can see the effects of it. Why is Jesus making this terminology? He's making this terminology because he's referring to a person that's born again. Listen, you can't see what the spirit of God, how he works. You can't see that. But guess what? You can see the effects of that. I just want to bring this back to this point. This has been a uh, real reliever for me. Do you realize that though you and I are called to be people who share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people, I don't know if you've been around where a person has come to Christ. Guess what? That was never of your or my doing. Never. We're called to communicate. We're called to live it. But when a person makes a decision for Jesus Christ, when a person grows in Jesus Christ, I'm just going to tell you, I can't pat myself on the back. You can't pat yourself on the back. We need to pat the spirit of God on the back. Oh, I can't cry. There is no back. But I'm just telling you, it's a God work. Why is it? Uh, Transparent moment. Why is it in, in my role as a pastor and and you, you teach the Bible or you have a church that's kind of driven to be a church that wants to really raise disciples. Let's, let's, let's just give up some of the, the programming game. Let's give up the religiosity game. And like, let's be about real disciples, life on life, side by side. None of us have made it. We're all growing and changing. Listen, I'm not there. You're not there. Why are we surprised when people sin? We're growing and changing. We want to be a real deal church. Why is it that it's like after three and a half years, sometimes people are still like, I have no idea what you guys are about. Why is it that if you were sharing Christ with someone again and again and again, and it's like, say there are two people in the room you're sharing Christ with again and again, and one is like, oh man, I'm so all over this, and they are just molded and laid flat before the Lord. I need a savior. And the other one is just like a rock. Why? Uh, Because it's a work of the Spirit thing. Hey, if you're trying to convert someone, share Christ with them. Absolutely. We're called to do that. Live it before them. But understand this. You cannot intellect them into the kingdom. You cannot persuade them into the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? God brings them into his kingdom. Oh, that makes life so much like chilled. Not that we don't get engaged. Oh, get engaged. But knowing it's a God deal. Big rabbit trail there. Out of the text, hopefully. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Bless his heart. I love that. Verse 10. Jesus answered him. Look, if you have a red letter edition Bible, all the letters that Jesus speaks are in red. You see the rest of the, the, rest of the conversation is now monologue. It used to be back and forth. Now it's just Jesus. So let's read through the rest of the red letters. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? I do think he was pushing them. Seriously, you know the Bible inside and out, and yet you're missing the whole picture of the whole thing? Come on, my friend, I tell you the truth. Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. 
I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. You're not getting it, Nicodemus. Hear me. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, get, get out of the earthly deal here. Get into another realm of thinking here. Get, get out of your box. Verse 13, and no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Who's that? The son of man. Uh, he's talking about Jesus himself. What's he saying? It's ascended, descended thing. It means this. No one has ever ascended into heaven and returned to tell about it. Hear me. I want everybody to look at me on this. No matter what is presently being written out there. There's some really popular, a really popular book about out there right now. Some kid went to heaven and came back and reported about it. I just want to tell you this. There's only one person that has ever come from heaven and reported about it. Now, am I really stepping on toes? No one has ascended into heaven except for he descended from heaven. There's the text. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, oh, this is so cool. So must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I'm just going to explain this now. I'm so cranked up about it before we get going. The rest of the text. Here's what he was talking about. Numbers chapter 21. Who's he talking to? Nicodemus, a man who knew the Old Testament, probably had most of it memorized. And he's talking to a man about the serpent that's put up on a pole back in Numbers chapter 21. What was going on there? What was going on there was this. Back in that day, Israelites were murmuring about God. We can't relate to that. They were murmuring about God, and God got fed up with it. Enough! And so he sent snakes, and they're biting the Israelites. And uh, they're like, this really bites. <laughs> and so many of them are dying. And so they go to Moses, Moses, what do we do? And, and so in it all, they, they, Moses goes to God and God says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to make a bronze snake and you put it up on a pole and you lift the pole up and you put it high. And then whoever gets bitten by a snake, all they need to do is look at the pole. Understand this, it's not just the gaze. What's going on there in that look? Oh, please save me. Because right now, I've been bitten and I'm dying. That's the gospel. Is God not cool? And Jesus is going all the way back to Numbers chapter 1 and he's pulling that out and he's putting it before this guy who knew Numbers chapter 21 intimately. And Jesus is letting him, Nicodemus, hear me. Nicodemus, please hear me. I'm telling you the truth here. Listen, you need to look at the one who's going to be raised on the pole. And when you believe, when you go, I'm being bitten, I'm being snaked, I'm dying. I'm going to die on my own. I need someone to save me. What do I do? Look to the one on the pole. Save me. Jesus is trying to help this guy understand what he actually knows. I love that. Verse 16, here's a familiar one, the field goal verse. Let me go back to 14. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes, that whoever looks up on the pole should not perish. And not just have life, but eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world. This is cool. Not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Hey, do you have the impression or have you been given the impression that Jesus came on earth just to let everybody know what a bunch of lousers we are? Just how, just to condemn us all? Or I should say this, to let us know we're all condemned? Listen, here's the reality. We're already condemned. We already are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Why did Christ come? Isn't this cool? He came for what purpose? Not to condemn. We're already condemned. He came to redeem us. He came to save us. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in is condemned already because he has not uh, believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's out of John chapter one, the light. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out. I just Let me sum it up this way. Here's the core of biblical truth. God loves his creation, not because his creation is like going to complete him. God loves his creation in spite of the fact of who we are. God loves his creation, but here's the reality. His creation doesn't love him. At the core of me, let's just start with me. At the core of me, God loves me. But at the core of me, I don't love God. I love darkness. God loves you. But at your core... On your own, unredeemed, you don't love God. You love darkness. I love me and you love you. We've been bitten and we're dying in that. But here's the reality. God, in his love, sent his son to die on a pole so that if you would look up and place your faith in him, not this light, whimsy kind of little, hey, diddy faith. I'm talking the reality that I'm a sinner. I've been bitten and I'm dying and I need a savior. And I want to live for that savior. God has provided 
redemption for you? Do you know that redemption? Look at the end of the story after verse 21 and tell me the rest of the story. Well, how does Nicodemus respond? You tell me. We don't know. Isn't that cool? Why did John write the letter such that it gets to the end of this intense, cool stuff? And we don't know how Nicodemus responded. (laughs) I want to tell you the rest of the story, but I'm not going to because we're not there yet. And so I want to stay to the text. And right now, John, under the inspiration of God, is stopped and not telling us what happens to Nicodemus. So how about this? How about we ask ourselves, and how about I ask you? Okay, I will. I'll ask you. What are you going to do with the truth? Because there is the rest of the story with Nicodemus. What are you going to do with the truth from here? And you may be saying, well, I have received Christ. I have looked at the pole. I, 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 I am redeemed in Christ. Hallelujah, don't get arrogant about it. Because none of that was your own work. All of that was the mysterious, awesome work of God on you. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Rejoice in that. And then at the end there, it says, go to the light. You know, remember in the bug's life? Don't go there, but it's so beautiful. Here's there's what it's saying. Go there. It's beautiful. What's the light? Go to Christ. Live Christ. You've been, if you've been reborn in Christ, you're a new creature. Don't go back to the snakes. Live reborn. And listen, as I've talked about, we're all in that process, aren't we? And yet we love darkness still, redeemed and yet bent towards it. Together, together, that's where we need to go. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to read, and this is the plan anyway. I'm just going to read the rest of the chapter, okay? Um, I don't think this is a separate story. I think this continues what John's trying to communicate. So just let's read it and savor it. Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John, this is uh, John the Baptist, John the forerunner. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. He's putting a context for the readers of the day. Uh, Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So they're talking about purification. Verse 26, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, uh, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. They're all going over to the other church. I'm telling you, things don't change. This is a competition. John, they're going over to Jesus and their disciples. By the way, if you look at chapter 4, I think it's verse 2. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. We'll get that next week. (laughs) Got to keep going. Verse 25. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 
27. John answered, hey, spend some time this week on this verse. I mean, this, this, this is a special, special verse. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Ooh. By the way, could that also mean trials? A person does not receive one thing unless it comes from heaven. Hmm. 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. In other words, John is the, bri- the friend of the bridegroom, and the bridegroom, Jesus, has come, and he's saying, who stands and hears him? And, and, and John rejoices greatly that the bridegroom, that Jesus has come. Therefore, the joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease. In verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Look to the pole. Whoever does not, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. I don't need the pole. I can do it on my own. I'm just fine and dandy where I'm at. But the wrath of God will remain on him. Um, It's time to wrap it. Let me kind of wrap it this way. Because of how Jesus handles Nicodemus and in the end of it, we don't see anything. We don't see an altar call for Nicodemus. We don't see a bow your head and raise your hand. We don't see three rounds of just as I am. We don't see pray this prayer. I'm not saying that those are wrong. Please don't take me that way. But I'm just saying today, in light of the text, in the light of the way it approaches, I just want to be straight with you. I am not going to just as I am you today. I'm not going to emotion you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm just going to call you this. The truth has been spoken. Where are you at with it? Where are you at? Jesus said, no one will see the kingdom of God. No one will enter the kingdom of God unless you have been born from above. Have you? Hey, if you have, rejoice. Oh God, thank you for working in my life that you've moved that in me to where I want to live for you, but I want to call you in this. Don't leave it there because my friend, the call is a call for life. Are you pursuing the light 
as a redeemed person in Christ. If you've been born again, that means you're a whole new creature. You're not supposed to be like, if you will, that creature you were before. You're supposed to be someone new. If your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. Are you seeing change in your life? Hey, if you need help, with the change in your life, and you're in a small group, talk with someone in your small group. Listen, I've got to get after this. I've got to get going. Get with them. We want to be side by side, life on life, helping one another. And if you're at a place where it's like, you know what? I don't know if I've been born again. I don't know if I know Jesus Christ as my savior. If I were to die today and stand before God and to say, what's the deal? Would I see the kingdom of God? Would I enter the kingdom of God? Listen, Jesus said, you must be born again. If you have not been, I'm simply just going to ask you, if you've come with someone, if you want to talk with us, come and talk. But as the Spirit of God moves on you, maybe right now you need to think this week. God, um, you are the great I am. You are a mystery to us, and yet you have revealed yourself to us. You are stunning. And we worship you for it. Lord God, I think sometimes we have developed perspectives of you as a God who is harsh and cruel. This is the kind of passage that just reminds us you're intimate and caring. You want all to know you. You're the one that's going to be lifted on the pole and going to be sacrificed in my place, doing for me what I cannot do for myself. I cannot birth myself. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. They looked at the pole. Father, I would pray this morning if there's someone here this morning where just the scriptures have churned in them the wondering of, I really don't know where I'm at with God. God, in love, I pray you continue to churn their heart. Maybe they need to just get with someone and ask that they've come with or in small group or, or talk with one of the pastors or whatever. God, get, may you impress on them to get the answers but the truth has been laid out here. Thanks for Nicodemus. A guy like that who is so much smarter, so much more skilled than I ever would be. And yet he scratched his head and wondered what it's all about. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. And the hope of heaven. The wonderful name of Christ we pray.